0: Good afternoon, it's Wednesday the 7th of April, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson, bringing us Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. Um,
1: so Alex, we're gonna get uh, straight on with you and uh, a headline here from uh, the European press, AstraZeneca. And this is all about uh, Mr. Cavalera, who is the uh, head of the European Medicines Agency, is correct?
2: Or at least he's in, he's in charge of the vaccine strategy uh, or the vaccine task force for the EMA, which is the EU's agency for medicines, the European Medicines Agency, not medical agency, as is often said by mistake. Roberto uh, Cavalleri has given a rather frank uh, interview uh, yesterday with the Italian daily Il Misaggero, which has been quickly picked up around the European continent, though the uh, response in the British press has been somewhat muted. So on screen at the moment, the headline of the write-up is that uh, Signor Cavalleri is saying that as regards AstraZeneca, which of course has now got a rebranded name, but it's AstraZeneca and Oxford University uh, consortium being the, uh, the producers, uh, he says that the risks remain outweighed by the benefits, but we are going to reevaluate advice for young women. Now, the reason for that is that there's a problem here with thromboses, which has come to the fore, and even the British press are now picking up on that. And uh, the particular problem seems to be related, not that I am a doctor, but what those qualified are saying, uh, it seems to be related to instances of thrombocytopenia or uh, lack of platelets uh, in combination with thrombosis. Signor Cavalleri's uh, point there is that young women in normal circumstances are the bulk or overrepresented uh, in thrombosis. So Cavalleri is saying we may actually reevaluate our opinions on how to... um, Uh, uh, on on whether young women should receive the AstraZeneca vaccine, Uh, but in general terms, he's very careful to say it's outweighed. He says, I think we can now clearly say that there is an association between thrombosis and the vaccine. What causes that reaction, though, we don't yet know. A correction, he's uh, Marco Cavallari, not Roberto, as I said a moment ago. He says, uh, when asked whether there's any therapy for this, particularly drugs, he says, no, using pharmaceuticals might do more harm than good, where there is platelet deficiency and thrombosis and he says we don't yet know what the mechanism is which is quite significant as people will see in a moment um, because uh, Cavallari is being very careful here uh, not to rock the boat uh, as to the usefulness and soundness of the vaccination strategy as a whole here on one slide and I recognize the uh, The image here, as being uh, one that he's taken of himself on a Dutch intercity train, uh, is Marco Cavallari's potted biography as given in a recent uh, conference that he uh, addressed. People will see that he joined the European Medicines Agency in 2005. He's been with them 16 years in scientific administration and then later on being the head of section for anti infectives and vaccines at the European Medicines Agency, which the UK is no longer an accessory to, but is, of course, the umbrella organization for the drugs regulators and uh, medical interventions regulators uh, for the EU. The Guardian, as of last night, when I put this together, had a little coverage. uh, But what it was saying was that the World Health Organization was responding to this EU level note of caution by saying there was no reason to change their own view, which is one that Cavalleri himself stressed, that the benefits continue to outweigh the risks. As of last night that was the only coverage in the guardian they didn't really want to make a piece of the item itself unlike much of the continental press many of the continental countries have suspended uh partly or wholly the astrazeneca treatment but they did at least want to wrap it into coverage saying nothing has changed at who level
1: um it should be noted though that uh the uh, head of uh or the chief scientific officer at the, on the live stream on monday on the uk government's live stream on monday was saying you know we're we're not going to be rolling vaccines out to children because uh, and, and particularly speaking about younger people because this seems to be mainly affecting younger people uh, and uh, so there's clearly a recognition within the British government that this is an issue Alex.
2: Yes um, like uh, Marco Cavallari uh, at EMA level they are at least uh, breaking cover now enough to say that uh, the, the, the the line might not hold for young people and particularly young women. Uh, that the benefits outweigh the risks. That seems to be the tenor of what Cavalleri is saying, uh, but there is a determination that older people should continue to be told you must get this despite the risks. Uh, and of course, I must stress again, this is AstraZeneca uh, we're talking about uh, recently renamed to something beginning with a V, not the other uh, vaccines that are being offered for COVID-19. However, as regards those other vaccines, the gene therapy vaccines, there is something very directly relevant, which has come up with Dr. Mike Yeadon speaking not for the first time to James Dellingpole on the Dellingpot. This 31st of March uh, edition uh, of the two speaking, not the earlier ones, the 31st of March uh, Yeadon-Dellingpole conversation on Rumble has given us an inordinate amount of attention from uh, viewers saying, you really must talk about this. Now, it's not our job to push or endorse what is being said, but since Eden has decided to pull out all the stops here, probably in response to hatchet, hatchet jobs done against him in March, he's decided to to to, uh, to say uh, to, to put on the table now everything he was probably going to say in a trickle. Uh, this is probably a very significant uh, interview for people to go to, and it has been re-uploaded to many sites. So Yeadon, uh, for those who don't know, was uh, in fact uh, a vice president and chief scientific advisor at Pfizer a decade ago, and he is specifically talking just before Valeri came out with this uh, overnight with this splash. As of a week ago when this came out uh, last Wednesday, Eden was already saying there is a problem with this thrombocytopenia and associated uh, thrombosis. Uh, and he says that he thinks he's identified the mechanism. So just before 18 minutes in that interview with Dellingpole, Dr. Yeadon says that the spike protein, which all the gene-based vaccines express, so he's not necessarily talking about AstraZeneca here, but the others in particular, that the, the protein that we keep hearing about that's expressed is not just some passive anchor or hook. So he's saying, don't fall into this cartoon view of things that it's just a, a way of attaching itself, no. The damn thing, says Yeadon, is biologically active. So this spike protein is a fusogenic protein. It makes cells stick together. It is a glue at cellular level. Now he goes on to explain, inconveniently, it's capable of initiating blood coagulation and activating the immune complement pathway. Now this does seem to be Dr. Yeadon's particular background, the immunological side uh, of vaccine research, which he was at least before he changed his mind on certain things uh, in some time in the last decade, he does seem to have been one of the world leaders in that field. Uh, he's now being lambasted by his former colleagues as being irresponsible uh, in many ways. Uh, you can see evidence of that, which is, a, I think, a tacit admission that his facts are not wrong or that he's not you know, talking uh, out off the top of his head or out of his depth. If the worst they can throw at him is you're being irresponsible by not towing the party line. So Eden goes on later in that interview, uh, to say quite a number of more general things and particularly at the 40 to 45 minutes mark. Uh, I think people should listen carefully to what he's telling Dellingpole. Uh, but he comes, this is not a direct quote, but my summary of what he says at one point later. He says, having an experimental vaccination, and of course, none of them is uh, is authorised, they're only approved in an emergency way, Having experimental vaccination is like playing Russian roulette. And he makes the rather obvious point that if you vaccinate your entire population for public health needs, then you need to have virtually zero side effects. Otherwise, you are going to uh, sicken and kill people who would not, not otherwise have sickened and died, uh, which seems to have been lost in the noise.
0: Well, that's a very interesting point to end on, Alex, lost in the noise. In fact, a lot of it is, is lost in the complete silence in the UK as to what the real truth is about vaccine adverse um, reactions. Let's have a look at this uh, clip from ITV, Good Morning Britain, which was sent to us. Uh, Really quite astonishing. The expert that they bring on to talk about vaccines is actually the business minister, but let's hear what they have to say. The Moderna vaccine will begin distribution in the UK today with the first doses being administered at a hospital in Wales.
3: It comes as a trial giving children the AstraZeneca vaccines being been halted over the potential linked to a very small number of blood clots. But scientists stress there are no safety concerns with the study. Joining us now is the business minister, Paul Scully. Good morning to you. We've had plenty of questions in from our viewers about this, of course. Some have already had the first AstraZeneca jab. Uh, some have got young children, or I should say young children or young adults in their family who've got underlying health conditions and they're now worried about where they should have the second one. Uh, this concern is, of course, a Around blood clots in the younger age group, uh, and that versus the risks of getting COVID and potentially dying from it. How worried um, are you and should we be, people who are getting the text messages to go for their AstraZeneca jab today?
4: Yeah, no, I've had an AstraZeneca vaccine myself for the first dose, and no, absolutely. Look, I think the MHRA and uh, AstraZeneca themselves will continue to look at the latest information, the latest data, but the advice is absolutely clear from both of them. If you are invited to have your vaccination, either first dose or second dose, please do go and get it. You are far safer getting the vaccine than the very small uh, probability uh, that that is appearing here. And within that probability, there's no proven causation between the two. So that's why they will look at the, the link, but it's absolutely... Uh, the best advice to go and get that jab. But
0: Germany has announced they are banning the vaccine at the moment for people under 60. Is there a possibility, even a possibility,
4: that that could happen here in the UK? Well, I've seen no suggestion that that was even the case um, here in the UK. Um, The the MHRA have been really clear that you're more likely to uh, um, to have side effects of um, taking aspirin. Uh, than you are with this, it's 0.000016 of a percent that, uh, that there are um, people um, having clots. And as I say, that's not even necessarily a causation, a, a causal link between the two. So it's really important to keep this in perspective. You're far safer getting the jab that will keep you healthy, keep everyone else healthy, and of course get us back to a semblance of normal life
3: until um the that research is is done there is a bit of time in hand do you think that there is a possibility that there will be a slowdown of the rollout of the astrazeneca jab for those who are perhaps under 40.
4: well i think so not because of, of this reason i think the biggest risk actually to people's safety is is the um speculation around it so i think that's that's really um, uh, important that we remember that. But no, what we are finding is that we're on plan- plans for the vaccination um, uh, program itself. The supply itself will always go up and down. We're catching up with the second uh, doses now because those people that went at the beginning have had their 12 weeks. Um, but there's there's no sense that we need to slow down for any other reasons. But clearly, as you say, the the tests are paused for children, but that's very different for um, uh, for the age groups that you're talking about.
0: Well, there there we had it. So a clip which was supposedly about problems and adverse effects. And the one thing that didn't get discussed in any detail whatsoever is what those adverse effects are, what the dangers are, what the statistics about uh, those uh, adverse effects are. Simply a discussion which constantly comes back onto the fact, don't worry about the problems, just um, get those vaccinations in. And as, of course, he says, well, Yes, maybe we're having a look at it in relation to the children, but for older people, no problem. Go ahead with the vaccinations. So I just wanted to, sorry, just pick up, where are we? Come back, pick up on what uh, uh, Ranveer Singh said. At one point, she says, as a trial giving the AstraZeneca vaccine to children has been halted, over the potential link to a very small number of blood clots. So there's no detail there at all. There's no examination of the actual statistics that we've got, and the language is undermining concern as to what's going on. She says this: the scientists confirm there are no safety concerns with the study. But how do we know that? Because what, what investigation has been done and what information is the public being given? And of course, the business minister—the ideal man to comment about vaccines, because that's what it's about: vast profits, some fifteen billion U.S. dollars for Pfizer alone, I seem to remember. And he says, "Yeah, no, look, I—you're more likely to have side effects from taking aspirin than you are with this." But the public, of course, hasn't been hasn't been shown the statistics. And of course, I doubt whether Paul Scully himself has actually looked at the statistics. But let's call up the government's own statistics on strokes. Uh, So here we're principally looking at problems with uh, clotting. So for Pfizer, we've got 96 cases, main cases, a whole range of other cases alongside that with four deaths. AstraZeneca, 197 with 18 deaths, but that's not shown on the ITV news clip. So all of the facts about the risks of the vaccine have been censored out. And let's look at another angle. Uh, rashes are often talked about as if this is a minor side effect. Well, this is the Daily Mail um, with an article about a lady whose face arms, chest, back, and legs erupt in agonizing red rash. For those of you that don't believe a rash is an important thing, well, this is the condition of this lady's body. She says, my skin was so sore and constantly hot. I've never felt pain like this and to say it's been the worst on of my life is an absolute understatement. Uh, Pictures of the rest of her body. This is a lady incapacitated as a result of rashes and the rashes are affecting uh, very large numbers of people. So um, here we've got uh, for Pfizer 1,707 and AstraZeneca 2,940 Uh, This is not being talked about by ITV or the BBC or the government or the NHS or the MHRA. And if we just add in the deaths here at the moment, Pfizer, 283, AstraZeneca, 421. And if we look at total adverse reactions, we're on 116,000 plus for Pfizer and 377,487 for AstraZeneca so nobody wants to talk about this and if we look at the uh, NHS here they are tweeting and what are they saying to the public in the UK a vaccine is tested through three clinical trials before being rolled out as a vaccine the UK sorry the COVID-19 vaccines were tested on 30,000 people people from all walks of life have been part of the trials including doctors and nurses but none of the detail about the vaccine adverse reactions has come out so we want to ask this question why do the UK government parliament MHRA NHS and vaccine producers continue to hide the truth about the scale and nature of these adverse reactions and we note that the BMJ is again printing information this time from hospital consultants warning of vaccine risks And this consultant says the levels of sickness after vaccination is unprecedented and staff are getting very sick and some with neurological symptoms, which is having a huge impact on the health service function. Even the young and healthy are off for days, some for weeks and some requiring medical treatment. Whole teams are being taken out uh, as they went to get vaccinated together. So Alex, just very quickly, I don't think it could be more explicit that when you look at the actual data which the government holds, the MHRA holds, the evidence is all serious side effects affecting thousands of people across the full age spectrum from children to elderly people.
1: And those are just the ones being reported?
0: And those are the ones being reported. And and you've indicated, Mike, that we're now seeing documentation where some time ago the MHRA was indicating that it it also recognizes that the figures it's it's producing in the yellow card system will only be a proportion of the total number of cases of adverse reactions that have taken place. So Alex, somebody is lying here somewhere.
2: Well, again, if you look at some continental equivalents, you will find a bit more honesty uh, if you go to the Dutch Health Ministry's website. So this is a direct ministry, not an agency. Uh, the minister in charge, Hugo de Jonger, uh, has uh, put out an announcement that he is stopping Vaxzevria, the new trade name for the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine uh, doses, to under 60s. Uh, but even they have to say, because they're in the EU system, we're waiting for a subcommittee of the EMA, known as PRAC, P-R-A-C, to evaluate the matter. And this is the nub of it, because even a week before uh, Dr. Mike Yeadon, to to name just one, warned Dellingpole on the 31st of March. He'd already given an interview to, uh, I think it's called America's Frontline Doctors, uh, an interview with a gentleman called Mordechai there, um, about his concerns, which are extremely wide-ranging. And in both of those appearances, two weeks ago and again one week ago, he said, I am trying to get through to the EMA, but I cannot. So the whole issue seems to be, uh, is it well-founded, this claim that they do not know the mechanism? or the thromboses associated with thrombocytopenia or not?
0: Well, yeah, they don't know the mechanism. Um, In the meantime, people are dying and being severely disabled with the effects. Now,
1: I just want to remind everybody once again of this article by Ian Davis on the UK column website, uh, a deceptive construction, why we must question the COVID-19 mortality statistics. And this was really in response to uh, our viewers asking us where we were getting this idea of 18,000 Deaths as opposed to the one hundred twenty-six thousand deaths from COVID nineteen that the uh, British government is proposing. Um, well, maybe a little bit more information now to uh, underpin what Ian has written there. Uh, from the Office for National Statistics, they released at the end of last week deaths from COVID nineteen with no pre-existing conditions from July two thousand twenty to February two thousand twenty-one. Uh, and here's the key point: there were a total of nine thousand four hundred deaths in two thousand twenty that were due to COVID nineteen and recorded without any pre-existing conditions. Uh, And, you know, our point really is that since uh, we have no way of knowing uh, what the actual cause of death is, uh, and the government acknowledges this, uh, then the 126,000 figure at the very least needs to be questioned. um, And, uh, and in fact, every one of those deaths needs to be investigated, although it may be (laughs) practically impossible to do that at this stage. And
0: there's no body for some of them. Exactly. Mm.
1: Exactly. Um, So, um, Alex, uh, where does that take us?
2: Anonymous.ru is hosting a German leak. The headline here states a leak of confidential documents. Um, Those dead after having a COVID vaccine are not allowed to be autopsied. And the gentleman on screen is uh, Achim Brauneisen, the attorney general for the greater Stuttgart area um the state is a quite strong candidate for being germany's most corrupt i would say um and uh, there has been when he was appointed to that position in 2013 uh, or at least the the the, uh, the the state prosecutor for that region um he there was some suggestion that he was there out of loyalty to a party although he's not a member of a particular party but anyway the leak itself in the good old fashioned uh, faxed format that seems still seems to be preferred by some continental prosecutors uh, with uh, a, a blocked out uh, recipient's name is a letter from the um, state of Baden Württemberg, Attorney General um, Brown Eisen, at least for the, the, the Stuttgart area, the main conglomerate, mm. the, the main uh, metropolis there, talking about uh, or, or responding to this gentleman's request to have uh, autopsies performed uh, as a matter of uh, prima facie criminal law on those who had a COVID vaccine administered prior to their demise. And uh, Eisen says in my translation of the uh, leaked document, combating COVID-19, he says this before getting onto any details significantly enough. This is his ideological position. Bear in mind, this is not the judiciary. This is the executive. This is a, a law officer for the executive of that state government. Combating COVID-19 is a whole state mission that calls for the cooperation of all domains of state force to join the fight. Indeed, the fact that he's talking is, is a, in response is an, an indication of that, because the initial letter had gone to the police for that part of the country. And in response, they find themselves talking to a government law officer, an attorney general. Uh, the blacked out addressee is then told, you view the prevention and combating of infectious diseases as indications for an autopsy. So he's spinning uh, the question of vaccination to, but this is to prevent death. And uh, Brown Eisen says, "I certainly see no grounds in criminal law for that." He goes on. Criminal procedural law allows postmortems only where there's prima facie suspicion of unnatural death and third-party involvement is apparent. So he adds, investigative bodies have no powers to order autopsies to prevent or combat infectious diseases more spin, of course. At most, this would be a matter for health officials. Now he gets really ideological. Brown Eisen adds, I think it's important too that serious sources do not concretely indicate any possible causality between vaccination and deaths of the elderly. How has he got this information? In classic continental legal style, he has decided to go and uh, get information Off government websites, instead of looking for evidence. This is, I'm afraid, classic in the law. Uh, You just look for people's arguments from official sources and then satisfy yourself that way. So he says, neither the Robert Koch Institute homepage nor the Paul Ehrlich Institute homepage, these are two institutes directly subordinated to the German Federal Ministry of Health, contains any valid indications of such. The instances of death discussed, he adds, on those Ministry of Health websites, rather seem to exclude any vaccination causality. So now we have squared the circle, really. He's gone straight back to those institutions, the equivalent of the American Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, which as we have repeatedly covered, have serious questions about the ideological motivation and even qualifications of the people in charge. So the government has received a complaint. It's been passed to the government to deal with more particularly the executive. And the executive has then gone to look to an executive uh, website to find out what the problem is. Any judicial uh, involvement here has been entirely excluded. By political intervention, no separation of powers. And just as a codicil to that, last week I showed some more German uh, write-ups which a viewer then asked for the source of and the viewer maintains a site outersite.org. If you look at the recent update on that page called freedom or irrational fear you will see the statistics I showed just on a phone screen last time I appeared uh, with the huge spike in the last month or two of adverse uh, drug reactions in the terms of the individual case safety reports for the European Economic Area, the area of, re- of remit for the European Medicines Agency or EMA. So this is EMA data uh, extracted from, shall we say, the, the the furthest back of the back screens of the website and presented visually and a further visualisation of that on the next slide shows the total number of adverse drug reaction reports per month. And you can see as of three months ago, there was a doubling and then two months ago, a further doubling, which has maintained last month. So outersite.org is a good site to follow that that, uh, trail through. The data is there, but it's uh, very cleverly and um, deceptively presented on the official sites, particularly the EMA.
1: Uh, Yes, and so uh, a question which continues to need to be asked and uh, potentially answered is whether uh, there's any justification for this mass vaccination program in the first place. Uh, well, here's another uh, scientific paper, not peer-reviewed yet, but nonetheless uh, of interest. A majority majority of uninfected adults show pre-existing antibody reactivity against SARS-CoV-2. And this is what they say. Uh, We determined that more than 90% of uninfected adults showed antibody reactivity against the spike receptor binding domain and terminal domains or the uh, nucleocapsid protein from SARS-CoV-2, it goes on to say, we conclude that most adults display pre-existing antibody cross-reactivity against SARS-CoV-2, which further supports investigation into how this may impact the clinical severity of COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 vaccine responses. This is extremely important. Uh, uh, But of course, if we go back over the last several months, it's not just antibodies, it's also T cells, indications of cross-reactivity. And even the BBC has mentioned this, uh, this was uh, from July last year, coronavirus uh, immunity may be more widespread than tests suggest. And so just let's just have a look and see what they're saying here. People testing negative for coronavirus antibodies may still have some immunity, a study has suggested. So this is similar to what that uh, study we just showed you uh, is indicating, uh, because obviously people would test negative for coronavirus antibodies if you're only looking for coronavirus anti- antibodies for SARS-CoV-2, that is. Uh, but of course, you're getting a broader uh, immune response from other uh, uh, other immunity uh, that you may have had in the past. For every person testing positive for antibodies, two were found of specific T cells, which identify and destroy infected cells. This is reinforced uh, again by another article here from Science from the middle of last year or so. T cells found in COVID 19 patients bode well for long term immunity. Uh, another paper, targets of T cell responses to SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus in humans with COVID-19 disease and unexposed individuals. And they say that unimportantly, we detected SARS-CoV-2 reactive CD4 T cells in 40 to 60% of unexposed individuals suggesting cross-reactive T cell recognition between circulating common cold coronaviruses and SARS-CoV-2. And we've got to remember that even the people that invented the Uh, AstraZeneca vaccine have made similar comments. This is Sarah Gilbert, the woman who's responsible for the AstraZeneca vaccine, saying it's possible we are underestimating natural or already acquired immunity to the virus. Uh, There's certainly evidence that people have not developed antibodies but have developed a T-cell response. And also her colleague Sir John Bell saying this again for the middle of last year. So there's probably background T-cell immunity in people before they see the coronavirus. So paper after paper, study after study, comment after comment, highlighting background immunity, both from from antibodies and T cells. Uh, But of course, T cells get a bit tired once you're over 65, which is why. So look, the question has to be asked then. Uh, This is the question I'd like an answer to. If all of the above is true, then what effect does a vaccine-derived specific immune response have on this general immune response? So if we're getting, if we're seeing paper after paper coming out and showing a general immune response, both with antibodies and T cells, but then we train the immune system with a vaccine. Uh, What happens to that general immune response? Does it get suppressed? Do we lose that general immune response? Are we replacing a general herd immunity with a specific one to a specific strain, and therefore leaving ourselves open to other uh, strains later on? Well, that question needs to be answered.
0: Needs to be answered. Interesting. Might it takes the UK column to ask that question in the first place when, of course, it should be the government, it should be the NHS, should be the MHRA that's asking that very question. Well, more importantly, it
1: should be the mainstream press and media, uh, Brian. They, they don't be. exist anymore. No, I they, refuse
0: they, to believe they exist it, anymore. Indeed they
1: don't. And we're going we to come on see. to that in one <laughs> second. But let's just have a look at this article, which was uh, posted by the uh, BBC while we were off air. Uh, vitamin D, the truth about an alleged COVID Cover-Up, uh, And they're saying as COVID-19 swept the world, so did misinformation about how to treat it. But sometimes misinformation can develop even around ideas that have some truth to them. Uh, and that can be the most difficult to tackle. So the BBC acknowledging here that it's their role to tackle, uh, what they describe as misinformation. So they're taking an active role in this. And they talk about hydroxychloroquine, they talk about ivermectin, and they talk about vitamin D. Uh, All are or were being studied, suggesting that a, a treatment could be effective and then finding it isn't upon further research is all part of the normal scientific process. But online, earlier, low quality research can be shared out of context. And the confusion that this creates can be exploited by people promoting conspiracy theories. Uh, this is uh, there is some logic behind why vitamin D might be useful in treating or preventing COVID. They say it pra- plays a role in immunity. Well, it does quite a bit more, doesn't it? But this article really designed to put people off the idea that vitamin D is useful, uh, not so much as a treatment, but certainly as a prophylactic. But let's just look at some of the evidence to counter what the BBC is saying here. Um, so here is uh, an article, uh, a scientific paper published on PMC, the big vitamin D mistake. And they highlighted, if you remember, we we talked about this probably about a year ago. Since 2006, type 1 diabetes in Finland has plateaued and then decreased after authorities' decision to fortify dietary milk products with vitamin D3. Uh, The role of vitamin D in innate and adaptive immunity is critical, this paper says. And then they recommend various doses for various ages they say they are determined that uh, it is a very big mistake to underestimate the role of vitamin D in in our general immune response capability, which of course helps us all if we come across any pathogen at all. Uh, Here's another example, effective uh, 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 calcifidol calcifidol, uh, treatment and best available therapy versus best available therapy on intensive care unit uh, admission and mortality among Patients hospitalized for COVID-19: A pilot, randomized clinical study, and it's talking about the same uh, type of thing.
0: That's another source of scientific papers. There, Mike, from people looking at that, that has come from a a genuine source. Yes, yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, There's another one: Vitamin D supplement could reduce death in COVID patients. Spanish study says Uh, another reason vitamin D is important: it gets T cells going. Well, this is from Scientific American. Uh, Let's have another one. Uh, New insights into the role of vitamin D in our immune system from MS Society, that's the Multiple Sclerosis Society. Uh, Another one here, uh, again from Science Daily, a scientific paper, vitamin D crucial to activating uh, immune defenses. Uh, Another one uh, from uh, ISCD, vitamin D deficiency, the silent epidemic of the elderly. And of course, elderly absolutely uh, reduced vitamin D levels, which is one of the reasons why uh, elderly people have suffered the most from COVID-19 uh, and uh, here's even the Guardian, role of vitamin D deficiency in BAME medic deaths uh, because of course if you're black or Asian ethnic, ethnicity in the UK you have a uh, much harder time uh, maintaining vitamin D levels in our climate uh, than in others uh, and uh, then we've got this uh, vitamin D supplementation and BIM healthcare workers from the Association of Anesthetists. Um, and uh, they are really saying that uh, supplementation, particularly for Black and Asian uh, ethnicities, is extremely important. So the BBC playing down the role of vitamin C, vitamin D, sorry, in uh, in our immune systems, and really linking the the idea of taking vitamin C supplementation uh, or vitamin D supplementation, sorry, with conspiracy theories. What is the effect of that going to be if people start uh, listening to the BBC?
0: Well, the BBC is going to be damaging the health of the nation because they're stopping people using their common sense in taking vitamins, which over a great many years, the benefits have been... Acknowledged. So the BBC will be attacking the UK population. It'll be joining the government, as we'll be seeing in a few minutes. Yes. Um, OK, if you like what the UK column does and you would
1: like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. And also, if you could uh, share our material that you find on various platforms, that would be fantastic as well.
0: Indeed. Right. Well, we we'll just pop up a quick advert. Um, David Scott did a very, very good interview with Murdo Fraser. Gentleman, who's really the leader of the opera. He isn't the real leader, but he's taken as being uh, the leader of the opposition in Scotland. Um, So this was a very high profile interview, uh, which David did. And of course, UK column um, really thrilled that we're now seeing um, interesting people in the political establishment coming forward to use the UK column because they can't get their information out elsewhere. But what sort of thing were they covering? Well, unbelievable statements by the First Minister, malicious prosecution by the Crown Office, and sinister legislation enacted by Holyrood. Now, this is up on David's Northern Exposure YouTube channel, premiered a few days ago. If you haven't been there to um, watch and listen to it, please do, because this is really taking the lid off corruption within the Scottish governmental system. Uh, here's Murdo Fraser himself. And uh, well, just one paragraph taken from that interview, the hate crime bill is possibly the most sinister piece of legislation passed in the Scottish public uh, Parliament. So I encourage people to have a look at that. Uh, also, after the news on Friday, we're going to premiere No Smoke Without Fire part four, where we're going to be looking at uh, the vaccine Um, safety issue, uh, which we're labeling here lies, damn lies and statistics. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of very good information in that interview with uh, former NHS nurse Debbie Evans, so look out for that on Friday after the news. Now I'd like to say we're getting a lot of information from people now on the subject of adverse effects. I can't cover it all and we're particularly full of information in today's news. But I just want to say that these emails are coming in where people are reporting that relatives and friends and colleagues are having vaccine adverse effects. And this one, of course, is back on the subject of a stroke. A lady of 73 years old has a vaccine and the next thing is she's suffering from a stroke. So people can put that up on the screen and freeze it to watch it. Um, Also seeing some very different thing that people are trying to make their voices heard uh, by some graffiti, but look at the subject. Masks are child abuse. Well, we've got professionals thoroughly agreeing with that statement. Lockdown is destroying the UK. Many would agree. Uh, We want our country back, Boris. So maybe not the most productive way to get the message across, but it certainly shows the feeling. And uh, this one uh, is well worth freezing the screen and having a look at because essentially... Somebody has written to their MP, Ben Wallace, a very detailed, very concerned letter about vaccinations, the lockdown adverse effects, a lot of detail, a lot of concern. And the response that they got back was simply appalling. Thank you for your email. The government met its target to offer a vaccine to everyone within the four, the top four priority groups, including social care workers by the 15th February 2021. We continue to ensure that as many social care workers as possible receive their first and second doses when offered. The Department of Health and Social Care is conducting second visits to care homes to offer vaccinations to staff who were unavailable on the day of the first visit. So somebody writes a letter with concerns about the vaccination and what you get back is a response. Well, it's a fob off by this gentleman. Uh, with uh, encouraging you to go for the vaccine that you've expressed your concerns about. So Alex, just 10 seconds on this. I, I keep asking myself, have our MPs become stupid? Or is it the fact that are actually so frightened within Westminster that they simply have to um, regurgitate the nonsense policy of this government?
2: The latter, and if you follow the Dissident's Guide to the Constitution podcast series on ukcolumn.org slash constitution, you'll hear chapter and verse on that. Uh, and overnight we've had Alan Duncan's diaries published by the Daily Mail and we discover in that that Wallace's predecessor as Minister of Defence came up with uh, a harebrained scheme to buy Svalbard off the Norwegians, a bit like the US attempts to buy Greenland off the Danes, uh, with the intent of uh, setting up a British global uh, polar space base or some such nonsense. I mean they're off in cloud cuckoo land so if you, you cannot really expect them to, to respond fairly but this ultimately comes down to their impossible and probably unconstitutional double-hatted role, trying to represent the people of Wire and Preston North at the same time as serving the Crown as a minister. Not doable.
0: Not doable. Uh, But people should continue to challenge them because, of course, when we see the documentary evidence, uh, that stands against them. Now, another excellent email here. Please read it. You'll have to freeze it on screen to go through the detail, but it's about Keele University. And what it's saying is that they stopped to study into into the effects of aluminium. Um, and the person is pointing out the university now receiving money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, but this key research was stopped after the university started to engage with Bill and Melinda Gates and take their money. This was given to us in an email, but it's backed up by a very good article here by Global Research, which is entitled Keele University cancels all aluminium research after scientists links aluminium in vaccines to human health problems. So now we can see the uh, relationship or the unhealthy relationship with the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation and the fact that a study into damage from vaccines through aluminium has been cancelled. Well the press over the weekend uh, did come up with some things of interest. Uh, This was the Telegraph the state of fear, how ministers use covert tactics to keep scared public at home. Now what's the Telegraph talking about? Well, it's talking about the use of applied psychology that uh, was detected within the sage minutes back in in, um, March Mm -hmm. last year. And um, somebody wrote uh, a letter to the Telegraph and the name's quite famous Frederick Forsyth, and he says congratulations to The Telegraph and Gordon Rayner for revealing that the campaign of mass fear that reduced a once brave nation to trembling terror was deliberately organized to secure obedience to the policy of lockdown. And he ends his letter by saying those responsible should be identified without delay and ousted from all office over over us Well, I would say that would be the first step. The second step is they should be lined up, ready for appearance in court. But uh, the key point we wanted to make here is that one year on and the Telegraph and what I'm going to call the weak ineffectual UK press outlets finally catch up with the UK columns reports on the UK government's malicious fear and behavioural change agenda. Uh, the Express carried the story as well. This was just a variance on the, t- the Telegraph story. Uh, here's the Mail. Now, the Daily Mail did something particularly devious in one of the paragraph headings uh, because they introduced the word allegedly. It allegedly said that people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened. There was no alleged in this because that exact sentence was in the original Sage Minutes. And if people go to those minutes, they can see that Now I've just taken a synopsis of the minutes here, you can find this if you go to the uh, SAGE web page and look for their minutes section, you want the 22nd of March 2020. And this is where the dirty deeds were being done together with Spy b the behavioural science subgroup. And what were they talking about? Well, this was the overall grid. Um, they were going to use the media to increase the sense of personal threat, the media to increase the sense of personal responsibility, to promote positive messaging, to tailor messaging, to use and promote social approval for the desired behaviour. And that last one, number six, is particularly dangerous because effectively it's turning members of the community against each other.
1: Uh, And just before you move on to the next one, the 11th of May 2020 is the key date if people want to see the original report on the UK column news. Yes, that's
0: correct. Yes. So UK column over a year in advance of of the old media. So the Telegraph, I don't think has got anything to crow about. And of course, the Telegraph in 2021 still doesn't mention this document, the Cabinet Office's 2010 Mindspace document, uh, where they said that means that citizens may not fully realise that their behaviour is being changed, or at least how it's being changed. Clearly, this opens up the government to charges of manipulation. And that of course is exactly what the government is doing using malicious applied psychology to make people frightened of COVID so that the pharmaceutical companies can sell their products for billions of dollars of profit.
1: Um, Now, on the uh, Monday live stream, uh, Boris Johnson announced that uh, there would be two tests a week available for every uh, human being living in the UK. Uh, So he was encouraging people to use the free NHS tests, uh, even if you don't feel ill. So we've got to
0: use the tests even if we don't feel ill. He's looking very ill these days, Mike, I know that that's a a snapshot, as it were. But if you look at Boris Johnson, he is looking more and more ill. Uh, uh, I wonder how uh, great the pressure or possibly the blackmail is on him.
1: Well, indeed. So anyway, we've got to we've got to use the test, even if we don't feel ill. Uh, If anybody's in any doubt as to what's going on here, well, then maybe and thank you very much to the viewer that sent this to me. Maybe this gives us a clue. Uh, There is a job being advertised. uh, It was posted on the 30th of March 2021 on the government's Find a Job website. Uh, It pays £750 per day, uh, subject to IR35 status. It's a full-time job. Uh, The closing date for applications is the 28th of April 2021 and it is for the Interim Head of Asymptomatic Testing Communication. Uh, So it's not about testing, it's about communication about testing. And here's the key uh, phrase. You will be primarily responsible for delivering a communication strategy to support the expansion of asymptomatic testing that normalizes testing as part of everyday life. That's what's gonna happen. Testing is now going to be a a normal part of everyday life. Uh, We better just get used to it uh, or we better start pushing back against it. Uh, But Alex, uh, (laughs) there's no room for doubt in what that says.
2: Well, a lady whose um, letter I'll be reading out at the end of this news, uh, writing about issues including vitamin D3 and uh, refusing tests, uh, puts it uh, very well. She simply says, your rights to bodily integrity is inalienable. Uh, how does that one statement, which is obviously true and endorsed in national and international law, sit with, we will normalise testing? The testing they're talking about is having something shoved in your nose or your backside. Uh, how is that with bodily integrity and inalienability?
1: Very good question, Uh, but let's uh, move on to the issue of passports then. And Michael Gove, uh, while we were on on our break, uh, published this in The Telegraph. Uh, It's time to explore the need for COVID certification. Now, this was after months of uh, Michael Gove personally, and I saw him on a couple of occasions on The Andrew Marr Show, absolutely determined that uh, no such plans were in place. There were not going to be any COVID certification, uh, vaccine passports, whatever you want to call it. But let's have a look at what he's saying in this article. Vaccination is a hugely powerful tool, uh, but we've got to remember until this weekend, it was the way out of this uh, lockdown situation, but no more, because according to Gove, it can never provide 100% protection. That is why we need to look at every option potentially available to ensure the fastest, safest and most sustainable road back to normality, uh, he said, which is where the idea of COVID certification could prove useful. Well, I'm not going to go into any more of what he said in this article. If anybody wants to read it, uh, they can do. But I wanted to absolutely have a look at some of the comments uh, underneath this, because what he said in the course of this article was that he was going to be looking at the comments underneath to get a view of what the Telegraph viewer or reader uh, thought of this idea. And we've got to keep in mind that traditionally, the Telegraph reader is the heart of uh, Tory support. Uh, So let's have a look at... uh, what some of these uh, comments say. Here's Elsie Elise Mason, sorry, saying, no, 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 this tyranny has already stolen a year of our lives and must stop immediately. No more lockdown, business closures, useless masks, anti-social distancing, or this insane terror campaign against the people of this once great nation for seasonal, for a seasonal bug, little worse than a bad flu, uh, and which has a 99.8% recovery rate. Uh, John Smith saying, please listen to the podcast between James Dellingpole and Mike Yeaton. Who held a very senior position at Pfizer in this instant, literally insane for people at very low risk from COVID to take a new vaccine uh, that uses a whole new method of vaccination. Uh, well, in fact, Mike Yeadon posted his own comment. Uh, he said, Gove, you stupid, evil man. Vaccine passports often uh, offer no advantages to anyone except the totalitarian psychopaths who will anyway foist them upon us. Uh, they'll be used to enable massive depopulation. I presume that I mean, that, that could be somebody pretending to be Michael Eden, But anyway, that's uh, what he posted or what the person under that name posted. Uh, and then we get Charlie uh, Banger stevenson here saying, we need a new word for loathe. In fact, I knew loathe you and your corrupt <laughs> evil contemporaries so much that I fear I may be heating the planet with my incandescent hour, burn in hell. Uh, and we have uh, John J.H. saying, look, Looks like I'm on my own here this morning, but I'm very much in favor of COVID passports and there were only one or two people taking this position and quite often to the, this kind of comment and response and who do you work for? Some of the other responses overtly uh, suggesting that people uh, were working for 77 Brigade. And yeah, so on. it's
0: interesting that one doesn't have a full name. Okay, other yes. people might use a false name, but that one doesn't try to go for a full name. Um, so what's uh, what's Parliament going to do? Because there's going to be a vote on this.
1: Well, perhaps we get a clue from uh, Sir Graham Brady, who's, of course, chair of the 1922 committee, who says that pa- vaccine passports are intrusive, costly, and unnecessary. Uh, he says uh, the UK is currently in an, envi- an, an enviable, sorry, enviable. in an enviable position <laughs> where more than half the population has got antibodies. So there is some discussion about there being a rebellion within the Tory party, about 60, 70, perhaps voting against the possibility of vaccine passports, and the Labour Party talking about doing the same. So um, perhaps now is the time for you to make your position clear to your uh, party representative, uh, and, uh, and leave them in no doubt as to which way they should be voting.
0: Yeah, go, go for your MP, but also for the local party chair person because these people are very influential and they get very upset when they believe that voters are, are uh, leaving the party. So don't forget to write letters and emails to the party, the local party chairman.
1: Uh, Now we did mention this before, but Alex, uh, European plans for vaccine passports were in place 20 months prior to the pandemic. Uh, Coincidence asks the Dr. Rath Health Foundation.
2: And this piece has been syndicated by others in the free media, but the two links uh, indicated in purple on that screen are the two ones which I've blown up here. The first of them from the European Commission, which is the uh, civil service behind the executive branch of the EU as a government, uh, who actually have the right of drafting all legislation and proposals. Uh, They drafted in April 2018 a proposal for a council recommendation, that would be the Council of Ministers of the EU. So it's very much like at national level, civil servants saying, Minister, would you mind awfully making this speech? and then uh, if you look at the roadmap on vaccination which the European Commission came out with, there in the right hand column under 2022 you can see that as of the second quarter of 2019 the anticipation was that in 2022 there would be a common EU vaccine passport. So yes we have mentioned this before but this is a good write-up by Dr Rath's Health Foundation and like all the other links here if people are dependent on YouTube to watch this material wait until about three or four hours after upload, early evening British time after an an upload uh, of a news, uh, of of an episode of UK Column. And thanks to the sterling efforts of a few people now, uh, there will be links in the video description, which you can expand under the video pane to follow the links to all the things that we discuss.
1: Yes. Um, Okay, now, uh, thanks for that, Alex. Uh, Let's just uh, bring this on screen. This is the UK uh, Social Mobility Commission. Um, and uh, I only want to mention this very briefly because this is another uh, government agency or a government uh, NGO, which has uh, been moved into the cabinet office as of the 1st of April. I wasn't sure whether that was the 1st of April, uh, uh, an April fool's joke or something. But anyway, this is of course, the Social Mobility Commission is all about trying to make sure that people have the ability to move outside their normal uh, social class. Uh, and it's now sponsored by the Minister for Women and Equalities as part of the Equality Hub Uh, inside the cabinet office. Uh, And yet again, we've got more fusion in government. Uh, But it doesn't end there because we mentioned uh, last week uh, that uh, uh, this is uh, Matt Hancock, of course, talking about the UK National, uh, the UK Health Security Agency, a new agency, uh, again, merging other agencies. Um, So it was formally established uh, on the 1st of April 2021. It transfers staff and systems Uh, from Public Health England, from NHS uh, Test and Trace uh, and the analytical capability of the Joint Biosecurity Centre into this one organisation. So the question is, who's going to be in charge of that? Uh, Well, it is this lady, Dr. Jenny Harries. And uh, well, let's just have a look at her uh, CV. She played central roles, according to the British government, in the UK's response to COVID, Ebola, Zika, monkeypox, MERS and Novichok. Uh, So that, the latter, uh, definitely guarantees that she's uh, the right person for the job, Brian. Uh, She is previously uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England. She was Regional Director for the South of England at Public Health England. Uh, She was uh, Joint Director of Public Health at Norfolk County Council, uh, and she was Joint Director of Public Health at NHS Swindon. Uh, She was also Local Director of Public Health uh, at Monmouthshire Local uh, Health Board, uh, but she was also a member of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization uh, since 2007. I think she's still retaining that role, even though she's being put in, head, uh, uh, in charge of the new UK HSA. But the, thing, the other thing to note about this, uh, Alex, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, this new agency is going to protect uh, the country from future health threats uh, and pandemics quickly and at a greater scale. But it's also going to work with global partners and it's going to become the mainstay of what the Prime Minister and other international leaders have called a more robust international health architecture that will protect future generations. Uh, Where could it go
2: wrong? Well to have an international health architecture you need to have treaties setting up supranational bodies that commandeer national uh, executives and national judiciaries and national police and national health health uh, trusts don't you so that's where that could go wrong Uh, the cabinet office as always is the repository of these things in our last two episodes on democracy in the dissidents guide to the constitution podcast series we have been picking apart what democracy means and one of the very things we said was that it's all inspired by the french revolutionary trio of liberty equality fraternity well, there's an equality hub at the Cabinet Office, but there's no freedom hub and there's no brotherhood hub, is there? Yet another indication that in the modern sense of the word democracy, it's equality, 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 uber alles, And equality there means uh, envy and no one allows to be better or healthier or wealthier than anyone else.
1: Uh, yes, but of course, uh, that other word is increasingly being used, equity.
2: Yes, equity, of course, historically meaning a fair and just outcome and it has a completely different meaning uh, in English law than what it, what it, uh, historically than what it does now. It means having a conscionable outcome, but now it means uh, a, bed, a bed of procrustes, as I think I've said in the, in the dissidents Guide series, uh, anyone whose legs are too long need them locked off, anyone whose legs are too short need them racked and stretched out until we all lie uh, equally on the bed of equality, and that is equity or equality of outcome, as endorsed by Kamala Harris and other notables of our day.
1: Yes, uh, so what's going on in Belgium?
2: Le Soir in Belgium is reporting that, as is usual in the continental legal system, a court of first instance has taken it upon, himself, uh, upon itself to smack the government over the wrists because it was by ministerial special decree that the Covid emergency measures were imposed on Belgium. And uh, the state has now been uh, found against and uh, been told that if it doesn't rectify this legally uh, within 30 days, there'll be a €5,000 a day fine on the government in, uh, imposed by the judi- judiciary. But don't get your hopes up. Here's an, a Brussels Times, so English language write-up for expats and internationals in Brussels and their uh, response to this, asking what changes, is uh, to answer the question with no, that the measures won't be lifted. It's not an easy thing to do. So this is indicative of the symbolic nature of what judges do. Increasingly, we find this with judicial review and human rights compliancy in the various jurisdictions of the UK now as well. It's for show. The judges are being trained that they have to symbolically condemn the government at the court of first instance, the lowest level, but things get rectified in the much more tightly controlled higher up uh, judiciary uh, or higher up courts, as in the United States, obviously. And just to remind people of where this previously went down a dead end, the Brussels Times, the same paper was reporting in February that when there was a challenge to the curfew. Uh, The correctional court, so an an appeal court, a review court in the Belgian system, overruled the court court of first instance and said, oh no, it's perfectly within the government's uh, gift to do these things. And besides, the Belgian parliament is about to enact a statute law uh, containing the same emergency decrees. And that will, as far as judges are concerned, rectify the matter. So people shouldn't get their hopes up when they see that this or that continental court, often a low branch of the courts, has uh, found against the government in any particular way.
1: Um, well, let's move uh, east to Serbia.
2: Yes, uh, the pictures here uh, I've included because they're in the South China Morning Post write-up. But the copy is actually provided by Agence France-Presse, so the French equivalent of Deutsche Vela or BBC World in many ways, or Voice of America, the outward-facing public service um, uh, body uh, or rather France 24 has covered it which is that but Agence France-Presse is is the French Reuters it's a, a news agency supplying globalist compliant copy uh, and uh, the Agence France-Presse copy is about uh, the Serbs uh, saying no in rather large numbers to the two or three million vaccines that have been stockpiled against Covid uh, in the country and they've even started saying that temporary residents and other foreigners even vaccine tourists can start snapping up these unwanted uh, and and, uh, neglected stocks uh, of COVID. So the write-up says that the president, whom they disdain, of course, at uh, Agence France-Presse, because he's what they call a populist, Alexander Vucic, has taken to begging the people, please, I implore you, get a vaccine. I beg you in the name of God, take them. And uh, that has not been successful so far. They go on to uh, blacken the name of course of what they would call anti-vaxxers and vaccine skeptics and fear mongers and conspiracy theorists. Uh, Parts which I've not put on screen uh, include police arrests of those uh, posting their concern about the vaccine situation. But the twist in the tale at the end uh, is we discover that Vucic himself has dodged the needle so far, despite endlessly trump trumpeting his inoculation in local media. Vucic believes that once he does finally get vaculated, half a million Serbs will follow his example in just a week. So uh, the the, uh, the stench of hypocrisy comes off this, uh, this article, of course.
0: I just wanted to say that, Alex, we... We can, of course, really understand why the BBC wants to get its tentacles into these uh, eastern states to influence the way the local populations think. This is what BBC media action, BBC monitoring and the BBC teams want to do. They want to get the BBC voice into these areas and try and regain or gain control of the minds of the population.
1: Um, Now, Alex, a few days ago, you posted an opinion piece on the website, uh, COVID, I refuse to comply for the sake of my son.
2: This is by um, a lady from the European continent who, together with her young adult son who has uh, autism, special needs, has fled uh, to the European continent after living for some years in Dover in Kent, uh, because uh, for a start, the son couldn't get dental surgery because of COVID. And the details are in a blog uh, which we've... uh, Put together here uh, in her words. Uh, so she explained that she tried to find a dentist and were told no NHS treatment, um, not even our regulars are getting seen. So for the dental surgery in question, they had to go, as they thought, temporarily to the continent. While there, it took three months in the end. The situation tightened up so much in Britain that her son, who is, of course, uh, frightened enough of dental treatment and uh, terrified of masks and tests, uh, w- was was asking his mother, if I go back, am I going to have things jabbed in my face? So the, the section we've uh, put into the blog here describes that, why we can't come back home. Um, so th- the mother was utterly exhausted by the situation and by previous things that had gone wrong. And they decided that it was impossible Uh, in good faith uh, to come back. The the mother cannot risk being separated from her son or either of them being uh, cajoled or forced into vaccination uh, because uh, of the situation. So we uh, put together, we haven't actually put the fundraiser up yet because I would like to ask uh, viewers to uh, suggest to us under the upload of this or uh, by email to alex at ukcolumn.org which fundraising platform they think is least likely to do the dirty on us. I think we have a good pool of experience among our viewers, uh, but we have a modest need for a fundraiser now to take this young man's possessions and his mother's possessions into safe storage out of the flat in Kent uh, to somewhere local and then in due course to bring them over. Uh, viewers have responded magnificently to this viewer upload, even though it's had fewer than a thousand views so far, uh, a whole clutch of people responded saying, I wish to help, which shows that, you know, there's something like a, not just a a, a high response rate in terms of of endorsing uh, the messages, but a significant, maybe 5% of the people who even watch the stuff actively responded in this case, saying, I would like to help. So before we go on, I will just read a two paragraph note of thanks by the lady in question who goes by the the pseudonym of Mary for her safety. She says, with the deepest respect, I thank all those who sent us love, good wishes, kind thoughts, suggestions, and all those who are offering their help and time to give us peace of mind. Truly overwhelming. It started with a message to Brian, who forwarded it to Alexander, who then took immediate action with the help of Mike and their UK Column team. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't have a vaccination just because you're told to. Read. Investigate, watch and listen to the real experts. Ask yourselves why these noble people are being silenced. Make sure that you can make an informed decision. Your right to bodily integrity is inalienable. I embrace you all from far away and wish you good health and safety. Yours, Mary. So a very gratifying example of what the UK column viewing community can do, even when small numbers view uh, a video on a a different channel, the Eastern Approaches channel. uh, One thing that that indicates to me is that probably our viewing figures are being heavily suppressed because even with the best will in the world, I can't believe that 5% of those who actually clicked on the video responded to me saying, I wish to help and I'm local to Kent. I think those proportions are way out. And I think actually our viewing statistics are possibly significantly more on various platforms, particularly YouTube, than we are told.
0: Yeah. But I'd I'd just add to that, Alex, a a story, a small story in some ways, a very big story in other ways. But this is showing the hurt that this whole lockdown and COVID nonsense is causing the population. So aside from vaccine adverse effects where people's lives absolutely destroyed or indeed they're no longer alive, we've got the effect on vulnerable people in society like the boy in this particular case. And I just want to thank the site, particularly the psychologists and the psychotherapists who've been contacting the UK column over recent months to say how concerned they are at uh, what we're seeing. So the government's use of psychology to make people fearful. And of course, the lockdown and the promotion of vaccines without investigating the adverse effects to allow people to make informed choices.
1: Um, Now, uh, a bit of an announcement uh, this morning from Sonia Poulton, telling us that uh, she's temporarily pulling back from her journalistic and broadcasting work. What's going on here, Alex?
2: This is to do, although she's now cautious not to repeat it, uh, but there's there's no uh, suitability in mentioning the name in in question. Uh, It is John Hemming, the former Member of Parliament for the Liberal Democrats, or as we like to say on UK Column News, party representative. The liberal democrats who with a couple of uh, fellow attack dogs has gone very nastily after sonia poulton and wrecked her professional reputation and health and this is a robust lady a no-nonsense lady who in recent uh, months has had her own show on brand new tube in fact she she heads up that whole network uh, or platform of brand new tube both david scott and i have appeared with her politically in the past we would have been i think diametrically opposed to her but she is very much uh, a sensible common sense lady Particularly, she's decided to die in a ditch over the question of uh, whether women have a right to their own changing rooms and, uh, and other such matters. And she explored those issues with David Scott. But Sonia Poulton does also need uh, a modest fundraising assistance now which I would heartily endorse. Uh, Without straying anywhere near libelous territory or slanderous I would say I have personally had an exchange with the uh, former MP in question who has long posed as a champion of the victims of child abuse and found him to be something rather other than that in personality and incompetence. So I would uh, have no hesitation in endorsing that fundraiser and here is the preferred means of getting uh, resources to her by a, uh, her bank account uh, which is on screen at the moment, a Barclays bank account. As regards the other fundraiser which is necessary to compensate the wonderful viewers who've already started giving up uh, their time from work to move stuff out of the flat in Dover, uh, that fundraiser I'm sure we'll be announcing on at least the Eastern Approaches channel uh, if not UK column uh, news and website in the coming days once the, uh, the crowdfunding wisdom of viewers has come in as to which uh, platform to use.
1: Okay, uh, let's uh, move on to this then. Uh, online harm is the question uh, that we're asking here. The government has uh, uh, created a digital markets unit. Uh, it's based in the Competition and Markets Authority. I'm quite sure it's going to end up in the cabinet office in the not too distant future. It's going to oversee plans to give, uh, or at least the government claims this is what it's going to do, uh, to give consumers more choice and control over their data, promote online competition, and crackdown down on unfair practices, which can often leave businesses and consumers with less choice uh, and more expensive goods and services. That's what they claim. What's it really about? Well, actually it's really about this uh, because here's Oliver Dowden who's championing this. He's the Digital Secretary. He's def- he wants to defend the country from misinformation and digital interference. It's a top priority. So uh, what's really going on to understand that we've got to go back a couple of years uh, to when, when Matt Hancock launched the Cairncross Review in, in Parliament uh, and Hancock, Han, sorry, Hancock was really concerned about the state of the so-called free media in this country. By that mean, he means corporate media, uh, and he said that uh, the government was going to take action to tackle the challenges that our media, our media, that's the government's media, faces today, not a decade ago. Uh, He said that uh, Dame Frances Cairncross will bring her experience in journalism and academia to tackle these issues with a view to examine the press and protect the future of high quality journalism. And of course, one of the big problems that the journalists or the uh, press uh, companies have been talking about has been that the uh, Facebook and uh, YouTube and Google and these types of uh, corporations are not sharing the ad revenue to a significant degree. Uh, with the press and media, and therefore, uh, the government is now creating this digital markets unit in order to regulate the online platforms and make sure they pay their fair share to the uh, press and media and make sure the press and media is underpinned financially. Uh, because otherwise, Hancock uh, said that he trembled at the thought of a media regulated by the state in a time of malevolent forces in Parliament. Well, the media isn't politics, regulated by the state, sorry, sta- sorry, sorry in po- politics, yes. The media isn't regulated by the state, it's paid for by the state, uh, as it has turned out. He said, uh, get this wrong, and I fear for the future of our liberal democracy. Well, what he actually means there is that if they don't underpin the press and media, uh, and don't give them the money that they need, uh, then the future of our liberal, he means his liberal democracy is in doubt, because the opposition to that to, to the type of democracy that they are building, Uh, will gain such traction that they won't continue in its present form. Uh, But this doesn't uh, just apply uh, to the uh, UK, uh, because the UK is now working with Germany, uh, particularly with the uh, uh, the equivalent uh, organisation digital culture, media and sport uh, in Germany here uh, to um, counter online harms. Um, so this is encouraging UK-German technology collaboration to fight online harms. Uh, and last month, the uh, Department for International Trade, the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, and North Rhine-Westphalian Cyber Crime Agency uh, invited UK and German stakeholders, you'll note, uh, to a first virtual roundtable on the role of innovation and in technologies. to uh, so the role that they can play in fighting online harms. Now, what kind of online harms are they talking about? Well, they're talking about Uh, child abuse online. Uh, But they're also talking about disinformation and misinformation in the same breath. And really, we are as we move on, uh, Alex finding that uh, the attempt to tie together uh, counter government narratives under the term misinformation or under the term disinformation to online child abuse, this is something which is uh, these two things are being pushed together at an ever increasing rate. Because of course, as uh, we approach the point where the online harms legislation is gonna come to the UK, uh, it's under this guise of protecting children uh, that they are going to censor and shut down discussion, uh, which is counter to the government narrative.
2: So I think the uh, way to uh, tackle this, uh, if viewers are very concerned, is to put in, in their respective jurisdictions, freedom of information uh, requests, on just how many times raids have been mounted or arrests been made of people under this new online harms uh, banner for any child-related sexual crimes. Uh, because there's, the cynicism in our circles is obviously that this is the, the sweetener, because nobody would oppose such, uh, the, the, the tackling of such horrors. Uh, whereas in practice what the regime wants, uh, as Frederick Forsyth was saying in his piece about the Stasi, very aptly said, is to root out thinking hostile to the governing ideology. Uh, so by looking at statistics, just as we've done with COVID, you can, if this gets implemented, find out uh, in practice uh, that the, um, the the attacking of paedophiles was simply a cover story. Uh, and that what these raids are really about is getting dissidents out of the way, uh, which Germany, of course, has a long history of, particularly in that uh, nasty state, North Rhine-Westphalia, where we've had many cases of people uh, had their door- having their doors battered down for uh, such accusations, basically for political crimes.
1: Um, just a quick reminder, if anybody would like to get a bit of the history of this, uh, head over to ukcom.org forward slash censored and there's a timeline there. It needs a bit of love. It hasn't been updated since the online harms white paper was uh, w- consultation was taking place. Uh, we will uh, add more uh, in the coming days and weeks. But uh, if you want to get some of the background to this,
0: that's where you need to go. And probably we'll end on this one. Uh, thank you very much to our viewer, John, that sent it through to us. Uh, a tweet from Twitter, Twitter safety over the next few days, we will be deploying automated tools to build on our efforts to label tweets that may contain misleading information around COVID-19 vaccinations. These tools will help our teams gradually scale their enforcement enforcement. Yes. Enforcement of our COVID-19 misinformation policies. So clear that we're going to get more censorship from Twitter. And of course, what don't what don't they want to appear over the Twitter sphere? Are the statistics about the adverse effects of uh, vaccines, and the reason that this is such a good topic is, of course, it's the government's own statistics from the MHRA about vaccine adverse effects that need to be brought in front of the wider public, because those statistics raise the questions themselves by the sheer number of people who've been damaged as a result of vaccines and the severity of those adverse uh, reactions. So you don't need to prove anything. You just simply need to show the public the government's own data on adverse effects. So the wider public can make an informed choice as to whether they want to take a vaccine or not. So uh, there's something very simple that a lot of people can do there. And of course, those statistics being posted on Twitter will produce an interesting result. Because if Twitter censors them, then it's censoring the British government's own statistics. And uh, we'll have a few questions on that. Mm. I think that's it. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. A very big, uh, very big thanks to all of our supporters, and uh, people who have been subscribing. We're up to over 90,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel can you help us get up to that magic 100,000 figure? That will be utterly wonderful. And uh, just to re-echo Alex's fundraiser there or his crowdfunder, a little bit of help to this lady could make a huge change in her life and that of her son. Uh,
1: We'll be back on the, uh, for some extra on the UK Column live stream in about 10 minutes or so. And uh, otherwise we'll see you at 1 p.m. as usual on Friday.
0: Yeah, excellent, bye-bye. Bye-bye.